All right. So give us the, the short story of the last couple of years of the economy. Well, to summarize it, the, the vibes have been off. This is Rachel Siegel. She writes about the economy for The Post. And for the past few years, she's been covering crisis after crisis. You had a emergency health crisis that plunged the economy into a recession. You had supply chains going haywire, inflation shoot up. The labor market seemed to be slow to recover at first and then just grew like gangbusters. And it has been so hard to get a sense of what's happening in the economy in real time. Now we're at this place where a lot of those things are getting better. The supply chains are getting better. The job market is still growing. Inflation is improving. But there's still this curve that economists will reach for sometimes called a vibe session, where the vibes just still feel kind of off. It's still hard to understand why people are feeling really sour about the economy, even if by some measures things are really improving and we haven't had an actual recession yet. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Will Aremus. I'm a tech writer for The Post, and I'm your guest host today. It's Monday, July 24th. Today on the show, we're taking a closer look at the economy and whether, after all the fears of a recession, it might actually be kind of good. So, Rachel, I feel like we've been hearing for months that we're headed for a recession. The economy's bad. Prices are high. Everything's terrible. Is that starting to change a little bit? Sounds crazy to say, but I think it might actually be changing. We've been in this booth before talking about the recession that must surely be coming because of high inflation and high interest rates. But there are a lot of signs starting to pile up now that look like we're moving in a different direction. Yeah, so what are some of those signs that we might be turning a corner? Well, the good news is that the job market is still growing. We've had 30 straight months of job growth. Inflation has come down from its peak from last summer, and even though it has a little bit of a ways to go, it's really moving in the right direction. People are still spending, they're going on vacation, they're shopping for cars, they're shopping for houses. And overall, the businesses that I talk to, the families I talk to, they might have specific struggles, but they're feeling a little bit better about where the economy is headed overall. All right, so employment growing for 30 straight months sounds fantastic. But I also hear about a lot of people having to work three jobs, having to really struggle, take on gigs just to make ends meet. What about wages? So there's some good news there, too. Wages have now grown faster than inflation for four straight months. So as you mentioned, even though there have been a ton of jobs coming online, inflation was often climbing faster. Inflation was making it so that even if you did get a new job or maybe even if you were saddling two jobs, you still wouldn't be able to make ends meet. Now wages have been able to overtake that inflation in a way that hopefully sticks. So let's back up a little bit. Why have people been so worried about the economy? Why did they think there was going to be a recession? So when we think about the ways that people experience the economy, inflation is really top of mind. And people are very aware of higher prices for milk and bread and cars and their rent. For a while, gas prices were over $5 a gallon. And these are things that have really weighed on people's behavior, the way they feel about the economy, and their worries about the future, their worries that such high inflation would become a real permanent marker of daily life. The solution to getting control of inflation also makes people worried about a recession, though. 
In order to control inflation, the Federal Reserve has to raise interest rates very, very high, high enough to a level to slow the economy down, cool spending, cool demand for new workers. And often the economic models would tell us that when you have very high interest rates, especially rates that go up so quickly, that that causes a recession too. So when you put these two things together, people are already grappling with high prices for the things that they spend money on. Then they're told that the federal government is trying to actually really slow the economy down so much that it could cause a recession. It's hard to see another way out of it. So is there some kind of delicate line that the Fed tries to walk where they're, you know, they're raising the interest rates. They realize that could throw us into recession. Is there anything they can do to to avoid that? So the trade-offs are are really tricky. The Federal Reserve has interest rates, but they're very broad and they work with sort of blunt force across the entire economy. The Fed can't say, oh, I want to get control of inflation over here, but I want to protect the job market over here. They've got one rate and it does one thing. The Fed has been very, very clear as they've been raising interest rates at a really historic pace that their number one priority is controlling inflation. And even though there's no part of the Fed that wants to see people put out of work or any kind of economic pain that comes with slowing the economy down, their message consistently has been, we have got to get inflation under control because there's no way of coming back from that. We can't, we can't afford to not fully end this economic crisis period. And especially the longer inflation goes on, it hurts some of the most vulnerable Americans the most. So as the Fed has been raising rates, one of the big impacts of that is on people's mortgages. What have we seen in terms of how that's playing out with housing prices? So what's been happening in the housing market is that there's a real mismatch between the number of people looking for homes and the number of homes available. This is a sort of classic supply and demand economics 101 equation. What the Fed can do is it cannot build more houses, right? So it has to focus on cooling buyer demand. It does that by raising interest rates, which in turn lift mortgage rates. So that means that if you were a person shopping for a house before rates started going up, maybe you would be able to get a 3 or 4% interest rate on that house. Now you're looking at something much closer to 7%. That has the effect of causing people to bow out of the market, to say, oh, I think I'm going to stay in my rental a little bit longer, or I'm going to stay in the house that I already own a little bit longer. The goal here is to cool demand for housing so that there is time for more homes to become available. That's one of the ways that the Fed can try and slow the housing market and part of the economy. And so did it work? Has the demand cooled? Yes and no. And like a lot of questions about what is happening out there, housing is a bit of a confusing picture. So mortgage rates, as they shot up, absolutely had the effect of cooling demand. There were a lot of people who were all of a sudden discouraged from entering the market or found themselves priced out altogether. And that was a major shift from what we saw earlier in the pandemic, where you just had these frenzied, you know, elbow-to-elbow buying wars, bidding wars, people trying to get in all cash to get the house. Now you don't really see very much of that anymore. Realtors will say that they get a couple of offers on a house, but nothing like these sort of big swings from earlier in the pandemic. That allowed for a little bit of a window for more homes to slowly become available and for prices to calm down. But it's still pretty hard to buy a house right now, isn't it? So it's still hard to buy a house, 
But in theory, it should be getting easier and is already getting easier. There are about a million new homes that are expected to be available later this year and next, which will help loosen up the supply. You have buyers who are not desperate for houses but are maybe taking a little bit longer to look. They have a few more options as they're looking. And this might start to resemble a little bit of a new normal. No one is expecting that mortgage rates will suddenly plummet to those pre-pandemic levels. There is a long way to go to have enough houses available to meet all the people who want them. But as long as things keep gradually moving in this direction, we're moving away from this brief housing recession that we saw last year. So part of this goes back to the pandemic, right? And and you had people who were able to keep their jobs through the pandemic who suddenly found themselves with a lot more disposable income to spend on stuff. And then there were also issues with supply chains that were driving prices up. Have those issues sort of sorted themselves out? A lot of those issues have. And a lot of these issues are helping bring down prices all across the economy, not just in housing. So as you mentioned, at the beginning of the pandemic, people wanted to buy different things. They very suddenly wanted to order home gym equipment and home office equipment, and they gave up their gym memberships and stopped commuting into the office. That put a real strain on the supply chains that suddenly needed to get at-home treadmills and, and laptops and desk chairs to people. Those supply chains finally, I mean, it took years, but finally have smoothed out, and that has helped loosen up pressure on prices. And then there's this open question about how people's preferences will change. Will people stop working out at home altogether and slingshot back to their gyms? Will people return to the office and no longer have any need to order stuff for their houses? I think we're finding something in the middle, and that's going to bear on what people spend money on, what types of preferences they have, and how all of these supply chains and various networks kind of mold as a result. After the break, how Biden is trying to sell America on the idea that we're actually doing great and why we're having such a hard time believing him. We'll be right back. So I've sometimes heard what the Fed was trying to achieve with these interest rate hikes described as a soft landing. I've also heard people say that's really hard to do in practice, but did they actually manage that here, maybe? I mean, it's looking like they might get pretty close. So a soft landing is this idea that the Fed can raise interest rates really high and still manage to land this plane without causing a recession, that they're not going to sort of thud to the ground and bounce around as they're trying to slow the economy down. The thinking was that we would be feeling the repercussions of high interest rates really viscerally by now, that we would be seeing hits to the job market, that consumer confidence would be dropping, that there would be reason for people to be worried because of things that they were already feeling change in their life. That hasn't happened. Goldman Sachs just downgraded its expectations for a recession. They put it at 20% for the next year, and they keep sort of ticking that expectation lower and lower because these things that we've been reporting about and worrying about and writing about for months just have not hit. That all seems to make it look like the Fed could pull off a soft landing. We're not quite there yet, but they might be getting closer. And have they signaled whether they're finished raising interest rates or are there more hikes to come? 
So there are more hikes to come, and this is a bit of a complicating factor in understanding how exactly the Fed will land this plane. So on the one hand, the Federal Reserve has said that they are not close enough to seeing enough progress on inflation, that they have to push harder, probably through two more interest rate hikes this year, to feel like they have gotten borrowing costs high enough to the level that they need to be. But at the same time, they're saying that they have to see what happens in the economy. They have to be data-dependent in making these decisions. So they're having to work on a couple different timelines. There's all the decisions they've made up to now and all the rate hikes that are slowly moving through the economy now. There are additional rate hikes that will be affecting the economy into the future. And then there are also a lot of these things that are just difficult to read in real time. And obviously, if you're the one flying this plane, you want as crystal clear of a view of the horizon in front of you. But that isn't really the way the Fed has been able to see things for a while. I like that analogy. So the Fed is not ready to take a victory lap. But seeing Joe Biden lately, it seems like he's ready to take a victory lap. Unemployment is below 4%. The longest stretch of unemployment below 4% in the last 50 years. We're beginning to come back, folks. We can because we're giving workers a chance. Unemployment's down. But to the surprise of a lot of economists, so is inflation. What role did his policies actually have in what we're seeing now? So unlike the Federal Reserve, which really keeps to itself in a lot of ways, President Biden is on a bit of a tour around the country, really touting his policies and touting this idea of Bidenomics for remaking the American economy and being reason for some of the things we're talking about here, why things are moving in a more positive direction. There's some debate about where exactly that credit goes. President Biden often will point to the strength of the job market, 30 months of straight job growth, the historic numbers of jobs brought under his presidency. And and it's hard to say exactly, you know, where the credit goes there. It is true that the stimulus spending from earlier in the pandemic that sent checks to millions of American households at the same time that they were sitting on a lot of money that they just weren't spending— Once that started getting spent, that created a lot of jobs. People wanted to go out to eat again. People wanted to go to concerts. People wanted to travel. That has really helped keep hiring going in hospitality and tourism industries, for example. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all of Biden's policies have kicked into such immediate effect. A lot of the packages, whether they're around infrastructure investments or building bridges and and expanding access to internet, these are things that have a much longer time horizon and have not yet really touched down on the economy in quite the way that Biden might be talking about them. So Biden has been arguing for a while that the economy is in better shape than people think. He's just seemed to have a hard time convincing the public of that because we still go out and we see what the prices are like when we go to the grocery, et cetera. is that changing at all? I mean, is is the idea that, that, like, the vibes are bad? Are the vibes getting any better? Right. There's all this talk about the vibe session and exactly what that means. I mean, in some ways, what President Biden is saying, he's, he's pointing to the data. He's pointing to wages now finally growing faster than inflation. He's pointing to inflation coming down. He's pointing to the job market continuing to grow. He's pointing to the fact that people, in many cases, are better positioned than they were before the pandemic. Consumer sentiment is up. These are all things that are markers of a strong economy and a strong economy under his presidency. But it's a difficult message to get across, especially if you happen to be running for re-election, if the people who are supposed to be your audience don't agree with you. It's, It's a difficult 
sort of delicate message to say, no, no, you might not feel this way, but the economy actually is really good. You might not feel it in your grocery bill yet, or your rent might be really high, but let me tell you about the ways that the economy actually is really good. So there seems to be this disconnect that I guess has to be solved by political consultants and strategists over how to get that message across if that's what Biden is going to be running much of his re-election message on. And there are still a lot of people struggling, right? I mean, I'm sure to a lot of Americans, it doesn't feel like we're out of the woods yet. This is obviously an economy that is felt so differently by so many different types of people. And inflation is felt across the economy, but it is not felt by everyone equally. If the way your budget's set up puts greater weight towards rent and gas and cars, you are going to feel that inflation much more viscerally than someone who owns their home and has a low mortgage and walks to work. Or if you are on a fixed income or you are worried that your rental is going to sell and you're going to have to find some other way to navigate this housing market. There are so many ways in which the economy is so far from working for everyone. Inflation is a major way that that is felt and expressed. The job market is too. But I think if we're, whether we're talking about Biden's message or just signs of good news in the economy, that's going to be a hard message to sell to every single American. So what are we watching for next to see where the trajectory is headed? So any economist would tell you that growth in the job market and consumer spending are still the main things to look for if you're trying to figure out if a recession is coming toward you. I have found the housing market to be particularly fascinating and telling. I think it explains quite a bit about what's happening in the economy. We're starting to see some indication that rent is slowly cooling off. Rent prices were really just skyrocketing over the last couple of years, and we're now seeing leases turning over. Prices might not be falling, but they're at least not rising by $400, $500, $600 every month. I'll be watching to see if that continues. I'll be watching to see if new homes are finished, if this expectation that a lot of new homes are going to become available, if that actually happens and gives some slack to the housing market. I'm also going to be looking at construction jobs. There is a real lack of enough construction workers to do a lot of the infrastructure projects that Biden has promised to build so many new houses, to build new factories, all these things that are markers of economic growth. We're still missing a lot of the workforce to help make that happen. So these are some of the things on my dashboard that I think are particularly telling. All right. So Biden's out there optimistically trumpeting Bidenomics, and maybe he's actually right. But is there a chance that this still comes back to bite him somehow if the economy goes south again? I guess that's the risk of any any campaign message. And the economy for years now, not just since the pandemic, but especially since the pandemic, has taught us we, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen. And we don't know if there will be some new shock to the economy that sends inflation going back up. We don't know if there will be another banking crisis like the one we had earlier this spring that sent ripples through the financial system. The signs that we are currently aware of look like they are moving in the right direction, but we've all been taught about the real value of humility, especially when thinking about where the economy is headed. And I think that that might be part of the reason that people still do feel some sense of of angst or anxiety. It's hard to shake this feeling that we've had for the last couple of years that something is coming right around the corner. Rachel Siegel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Rachel Siegel is an economics reporter for The Post. This episode was produced by Emma Talkoff with help from Ariel Plotnick. It was edited by Maggie Penman. That's it for Post Reports today. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the work we're doing, please subscribe to The Post. 
You can get access to all of our coverage to help you understand the economy and how it'll affect your life. I'm Will Aremus. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.